Welcome to the Knowledge Entrepreneurs Show, where we celebrate the innovators driving change in the education industry. At Edison OS, we've worked with over 500 knowledge entrepreneurs to turn their edtech ideas into profitable businesses. In today's episode of the Knowledge Entrepreneur Show, we have Kinga Zernik. Kinga Zernik is the co-founder of Create and Funnel. Create and Funnel was founded when two online teachers crossed paths in the aftermath of the double deduction policy in China. After completing Tim Gascoigne's launch going solo course, co-creator Kinga was still facing one challenge in a newly founded independent teaching business, a lack of students. She came across a Chinese social media app, Hong Shu, which translated Little Red Book, and was able to build her student base from 0 to 30 students in less than a year. Create and Funnel have continually supplied the online teaching community with great value and insight on how to successfully navigate teacherpreneurship. Hi Kinga, good evening. Uh, welcome to the Knowledge Entrepreneur Show. Thank you so much for taking time out uh, you know, to join me here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Thank you so much. Likewise, Kinga. It's my pleasure. Uh, so, Kinga, on social media, if people visit your Instagram page, it's very clear that you help people, especially aspiring teachers, in setting up their own English teaching business in the Chinese market. Before we That's get right. into before we get into that, I'd like you to share your journey of how you got into this and where you started off. Okay. Wow. Amazing. So, um, well, first of all, I have been teaching ESL for around, I think, 13 years, perhaps. So I started teaching even when I was in university and I was studying journalism at the time. But because I um, come from the States and I moved to Poland to study, um, there was a huge opportunity for me to tutor in English. So I took Great. advantage of that, of course, as a student to make some extra money. And I just really started to evolve in that um, career path and a lot of opportunities presented itself to me. And my first experience going solo was actually on the European market locally in Poland. Um, I transitioned from a language school that I had been working for into uh, teaching my own lessons um, for my own clients. And that was around the time I had my first child. So I really needed that independence as a mom. Um, but of right. course, you know, that was a new experience for me. And I started at a lower rate. And that also involved face-to-face -face teaching and traveling to my clients back and right. forth across the city. So it was super exhausting. Um, when I became pregnant with my second child, I knew it wasn't sustainable for me to travel like that with two kids, but also the fact that I moved to a smaller town. So I moved from a metropolitan area, excuse me, I moved from a metropolitan area to a smaller town. Right. So I knew the opportunities might be um, fewer. And I, that was around the time that online teaching was really booming. That was like 2016. And I attended a training, how to teach online. And the, the trainer was talking about the fact that a lot of teachers work for Chinese companies because they pay really high rates and they pay in US dollars. And that really registered with me. And I thought, wow, that would be so cool to work for a Chinese company. The hours were really suitable 
for me in the EU, it allowed me to work from morning um, to afternoons and then have the afternoons and evenings free for my children. So I went with that and the company reached out to me and they hired me. Um, I was with them for four years. What was really different about my experience as a Chinese platform teacher was that I was with one company full time. Right. A lot of teachers were working with several companies to supplement, supplement their income. I stayed with one company um, at a lower rate than, for example, other companies were offering. But I was able to really build my schedule to full time. Sometimes I was teaching 40 hours and sometimes I was teaching 70 hours. So wow. it was really okay. incredible. Um but I needed the money at the time, so that's why I was and working so hard. And this is this is just to clarify: this is weekly, right? Seventy hours per week. You're talking about. Yeah, because to be honest with you, um, this was around the time I was building my house, so I needed the extra income. Right. And right. I was opening hours, eleven hours a day, back to back, Monday through Sunday. It was insane. I don't know yeah. how I did it. Yeah. I did it. <laughs> And, um, and yeah, and I thought, you know, that being loyal and sticking with one company was really going to take me far. In fact, they even invited me to China. So I was able to travel to China and visit my wow. students and make like, a promotional appearance there. I stayed in China for one month. Um, but of course, when the double reduction policy was announced and yeah. it was like um, online tutoring was banned overnight, the company started, you know, taking away our wages, um, not paying us, and actually kind of exploiting us, like forcing us to work for a lower rate and saying that they would only uh, pay us out like 60% of the salary, which we had earned. So I made a decision at that moment to, to just go independent. Because I didn't want to be put in that position again where, you know, someone was going to take the money that I had earned or just put myself in a risky situation. Right. I just figured that taking the risk by going independent once and building that was enough instead of, you know, always depending on the next company. Got it. Um, so, you know, you did... Let's let's just you know uh, stick to the time that you worked with VIP kid a little bit because I see there's a lot to probably take away because first of all uh, how did you manage to do eleven hours I'm, I mean of course there is will and you know yeah. there is a desire to do but you had to have had a method uh, you know into the madness right uh, you know whatever mm -hmm. that you did you know how did you manage to did you have any methods to keep yourself energetic for 11 hours because teaching is about talking right and that drains a lot of energy yeah. and that to teaching kids is no joke so uh would you want to talk a little right. bit about that sure of course and just for clarification i didn't work for vip kid um that's a, also a little difference in my background is that you know a lot of teachers do come from that vip kid background i came from a relatively kind of unknown company in the Chinese ESL world based in Nanjing. Um, and they kind of catered more to like second tier cities. So the, a little bit of a difference. Right. Um, also the lessons were 50 minutes and you had the opportunity to teach kids, teens and adults. Right. So, you know, 
that was so that was part of it that you know I wasn't teaching kids right. 11 hours Got it. I had some adults in there which could you know save my energy a little bit but it was not sustainable it was not sustainable because there's a point where your efficiency goes down so definitely was it my best work probably not probably not <laughs> hindsight is 2020 I learned a lot from the experience right. but um, I wouldn't recommend it and now you know that really um, put it into perspective for me that right now I work four to five hours max per day um, I'm currently in the process of closing Saturdays um, which is a huge step for me. Like when you go off a platform and you go independent, it's it's amazing how some of the mindset still sticks with you. Like right, I need right, to right. work as many hours as possible. I need to work weekends. No, I don't. I'm in charge of my business. I make the decisions. So it took me a while to work through that. And it's been, you know, over a year and I'm just realizing like, girl, you can, you can chill out a little bit. It's okay. <laughs> That's great. So, when you made this transition, right, when you were hit with problems with the double reduction policy in China and stuff, um, what were the challenges you faced? Obviously, there's this big certainty, you know, you're going into an uncertain terrain, you know, here you were making a certain amount of money, expectations were met, mm -hmm. and then suddenly you're going yeah. into uncharted territory. So how did you manage to do that? Did the students that you had with that company, did they come with you? Or did you have to go find new people altogether? That's a really great question. Absolutely. You know, the biggest challenge was definitely the uncertainty. And what's really interesting, because in some ways, were we blindsided by the double reduction policy? Yes. But now looking back, I could have seen the signs coming because there were always new um, requirements to be met so we would have to send in different documents every few months because i think they were checking us out if we were um if we were capable of te teaching if we were certified in some way and i remember having this fear when i worked for a platform in the back of my head like what am i gonna do if this just goes away like can i do this forever and that's a little scary to to have in the back of your mind because you are earning a good income and you know you're you're supporting your family um so if that's just revoked and taken away it's it's a lot of pressure a lot of mental pressure so obviously that uncertainty when it did happen like what am i going to do do i need to find a completely different job in a different industry do i need to go back to the office do i need to go work retail what am i going to do right um but yeah, I just decided to, to go independent. And, you know, at the time I was following another uh, mentor in the space of our community, which you probably have heard of Tim, the online teacher, dude, he's oh, huge yeah, yeah. In, in our community. And, you know, I, I was following his videos at the time and he was really talking us through this whole experience, like telling us what companies might be hiring alternatively, what we could do. And he, uh, he came out with a course launch going solo, which I was part of the first group to take that course. Right. And it was about getting our own businesses set up. Now, again, the difference between me and the other teachers where they were coming from VIP Kid, where they were allowed to take the contacts of their students, and I wasn't. Okay. I did have some contacts, 
but they didn't want to go forward with me independently because my company still runs for some some odd reason. Um, So I really started with zero students until somebody in our group of teachers mentioned Xiao Hongshu, Little Red Book, which is kind of like Chinese Instagram. So it's really the only social media in China that foreigners can use that could expose you to new leads, new students. And I took the course in November. I signed up on the social media platform like Christmas Eve. And by um, New Year's Eve, I was already hosting trials. So that was kind of the process for me. And it just kind of fell into my lap because I really didn't know where the students were going to come from. Wow. Okay. So you're saying that, you know, because you were from a different platform than VIPK, you couldn't take students. So you went zero. You had to find, start your work from scratch, finding new students. Yeah, I absolutely started from zero, zero. And and I remember that feeling when everybody else was getting their students and selling their packages and their lessons. And I was like, I have no idea where my student is going to come from. I have everything ready, but I just don't know where, who I'm going to teach at this point. So um, Got it. to be fair, I had a, a side tutoring business in Poland that I've always kind of kept open mm-hmm. to supplement my income just in case. So I really expanded that for the time being. Right. But I really wanted to be teaching Chinese students again. So it wasn't until the Chinese social media popped along for me that I was able to find my first student, really. Got it, Kinga. Kinga, when you when you go into social media, right? Uh, because when there's a company that's helping you get students, your, your job about your job uh, about getting students is not much. It's easy, but when you have to go find your student yourself, there's so much of marketing uh, details that you'll have to go into because English is such a huge thing, ESL, and you know there are so many uh, niche inside within itself, right? So your communication has to be clear. So what was what what was your niche before going independent? Did you have one first of all, or were you doing all sort of things? And when you went in, did you zero down on a particular thing? That's such a great question. Yeah, and it's really important, like you said, with the influx and the oversaturation of all these ESL profiles. It's really important to know what you serve and what you're best at serving and who you cater to. So. We call it a niche. Sometimes um, Chris and I, my partner, we call it a star student. So before going independent, I, to be honest with you, I didn't even know I had a niche or niche um, until I started thinking about my strongest qualities as a teacher and why some students came back to my lessons and why some students decided to learn with me and not with other teachers, what the focus was. And I didn't put much importance towards um, teaching according to my niche because it was really interesting about platform teachers is because we want as many bookings as possible. We have it kind of um, imprinted in our brain that I can teach everyone. I can, I, yeah, I can teach kids. I can teach adults. I can, I'm versatile. I can switch, you know, I can, I can do it all, but that really changes when you're independent. Right. Um, 
So I had that realization that, okay, actually it is important to kind of narrow it down because number one, I'm attracting the right students that I want to be teaching. Number two, my systems are optimized to cater to them specifically. I don't need to plan different lessons. Everything is streamlined and ready to go. Number three, I can really charge top premium high rates um, because I'm, I'm providing a very special skill set. So I just started thinking back about what my special qualities were as a teacher. And like I said, what my students really resonated with. And my lessons have always been really heavily speaking centered, very like natural, practical English, but also using curriculum that expands critical thinking. Because also in Poland, like in China, I think um, in education at schools, there's not a lot of opportunity to expand on those critical thinking skills. It's really like instruction, recording, testing, right? So I was kind of implementing the U.S. classroom style in my lessons and also exposing my students to this kind of Western style of learning. Um, and that was really facilitating the speaking practice um, by expanding on those skills. So I figured out, hey, that's my niche. And I just chose a curricula that really aligned with that. And, and that's worked for me so far. You know, after zeroing down on, you know, let's say speaking centered teaching, right? Even there, uh, mm -hmm. you know, you said in China, there are kids learning, there are adults learning, and there are probably, you know, teens or students who are looking at overseas education, they're learning. Now, uh, I'm, I mean, my understanding is that even for these three categories of people, the style you're going to teach is going to be different, right? For kids or for teens or for adults. And did you zero down further based on this? Do you mean um, age-wise? Age-wise, yeah. Did you narrow down further your target audience? No, because with China, it's so like the, the children are so fluent, to be honest with you, it's amazing. It never ceases me ceases to amaze me when uh, students are so fluent from a young age, and and not just China, but I mean they put a lot of emphasis on that. Right. So for me, I quickly realized it wasn't about the age, to be honest, but it was more about the speaking level. Um, so if it's a if it's a solid B one, I could work with that. So I, I kind of based it more on, on the level, their abilities, also taking into account their reading abilities because my uh, curriculum does require a lot of reading. Um, writing is not as important to me. I feel like that can really be done outside of the classroom, outside the scope of my lessons. There right. are excellent writing teachers. That's just not what I cater to. So for me, I quickly learned it was more about the speaking level. Right. And... Um, and I ha I do have a few adults in the in the set, which you know, yeah, it's a different way of teaching, but it's kind of the same idea of my niche speaking based fluency. So more conversation lessons, and it's also then I focus on the level. You have to have a certain level for me to be able to work with you and expand on certain skills. Got it. And Kinga, going back to you know. Uh putting yourself out there, you know, making yourself visible. You need to put out content, right? Now, as an English teacher, <coughs> what's the kind of content that you put, you know? Is it, you? do you go put out English lessons itself? Or is it about, you know, um, why they should come learn with you? 
because you're already targeting a certain audience. So they're obviously looking for, uh, you know, English learning. Or is it a mix of everything? That's a really great question. And I've been thinking about that a lot. And I've been doing a lot of work with teachers one-to-one recently, um, really mapping out their content strategies. And I, I quickly realized what things were missing. And also my own experience, because, um, yeah, obviously on Xiaohan Shu, but like currently I'm really interested in evolving my Instagram page. I love social media, so I'm always like, very interested in in the trends and and the algorithms. So I quickly realized that the one thing that some people are missing are diversifying their content strategies. And some teachers, especially teachers, because we are educators. So we think that it's enough to put out educational content, right? Right. Um, And mixed in with some marketing about our classes. Not exactly. Um, When you have your profile on any social media, first of all, taking it back to your niche, your star student, because you cannot go forward without being really clear on that step because you don't know who your content is for. And if your content is general and for everybody, nobody's going to stick around on your page. Nobody's going to come back for more. So that's why it's really important to narrow it down attracting them with um, keywords in your bio, in your captions, also in your content. And then you set up some content pillars because there are different types of content, educational, of course, inspirational, you know, to motivate them to learn. Um, It can be entertaining, you know, to let them see your personality, for example, see the authentic you. That's what people connect with. Like people connect with the person um, that you are, especially, especially if you're a private teacher, you know, uh, you should really take advantage of the fact of, of building your own personal brand. So educational, inspirational, motivational, entertaining, there are a bunch of content pillars. I don't have my notes because I have all this in my notebook, but but it's really important to diversify your content yeah. strategy and align it with your niche. Got it. And also maybe, you know, learn on the go by seeing what's performing in a certain way and then probably double down on the ones that uh, do well. That's, thank you so much for saying that, Jack. That was the one key I was missing because I always tell my teachers as well, the reason why we do this is because, you know, we, we set out, a few different varieties of posts. And then we take a look back and see which ones are performing well. And, you know, when I, for example, when I I work with my own coach uh, on social media and she works with me on this and I set out a different, I posted a variety of different posts and it turned out that the posts that are doing well on my page are transformational posts that people like to observe, you know, the transformation I made from A to B, like platform teacher to teacherpreneur can be the same for your students. This student started out shy, unwilling to speak. Now she's taking part in English competitions. So you you, you should absolutely follow, you know, your audience's feedback and observe what content they are consuming the most and provide more of that. Absolutely. Got it, Kinga. And when it comes to the platform that we're talking about, right, the social media, the, the Chinese social media, one is mm-hmm. you are targeting audience who are Chinese. The language is majorly different. and uh, But the thing is, you're teaching English. People are looking for English. 
So what are the kind of people that there are, you know, do they already know a little bit of English? Can you do with English or do you need to know Chinese? That's a great question. It's a, it's a mix, I would say. Um, not everybody is fluent in English in China. In fact, that, that was what surprised me when I traveled to China. Well, first of all, that is a little bit ignorant on my behalf. So, you know, that was ignorant of me. Sometimes us English speakers expect everybody to speak English and that is not, that's not the case and it shouldn't be. Um, but what, you know, I had been working with students in China who were fluent in English. So that gave me the idea that everybody could speak English. No, right. it's not true. Right. Um, so you definitely have to take that into account and optimize your content for the Chinese audience in subtitles and maybe using a few Chinese words in your videos or, um, your captions should be in Chinese. So you should take that into account. With that being said, it's not necessary to know Mandarin. It's a wonderful step and that can really, um, you know, give you a cutting edge, to be honest. A lot of the teachers who are fluent in, in Mandarin, have great profiles and a great following. Mm. Um, but when it comes to conversion, it's not necessary because there are enough tools available for us to be able to translate what the other is saying. I work with some parents because the parents are the ones signing up their kids for the classes who are not fluent in Chinese. And I use WeChat to long press translate what they're saying and they do it vice versa. And we've never run into any trouble community communicating wow great and can you uh you know deep dive into the whole process of now let's say you know you've spoken about what kind of content to post on the social media platform for the chinese and um what is the first step that happens towards getting say a demo class i think the demo class is the first step before you convert right they try you for a class you offer it so is that the process uh, if that's the process, what happens before you set up a demo class? What's the kind of conversation that takes place? Yeah, that is a really great question. So, you know, you to that point, you would be posting different content and it would attract somebody to reach out to you, right, um, in your DMs because it's very important to know that you can't market your... Um, your classes, you can't put out any contact information in your posts. So you really have to kind of fly under the radar and post content that's attractive to, enough to them that they would themselves reach out to you and ask, hey, do you have any classes available? So the first step is them reaching out to you in your DMs. And I advise immediately because the Xiaohanshu algorithm is super sensitive so I advise immediately taking them off uh, to another platform, another communicating tool, preferably WeChat. But if you're not WeChat verified, there are alternatives. So, you know, use a messenger tool that um, that they could use Ding Talk. I think Classen is even a great uh, tool that you can use if you're not WeChat verified. And there, from there, the conversion process happens. And... What I like to do is I like to take charge of the conversation. Before they ask me about my price, I am asking them questions. So it's like I'm really interviewing you to work right. with me. Right. 
And that really helps me um, in my conversion process. I ask them, you know, what's the student's background in learning English? Can you tell me, you know, if they studied at a platform before, what what was their level? Um, what are your learning goals and needs? And then I just lay out the process. So would you be interested in booking a trial class? If so, this is the process. I have it automated, set up. I send, you know, a link or an invoice. Some teachers host paid trials. Some teachers host free trials in the beginning. So you just go with the uh, with the flow. Got it. Do you do both paid and free trials? That's a great question. In the beginning stages, I did free trials because, first of all, I was just getting my bearings. So I wanted to, you know, kind of understand the process and get as many leads through the door as I could. So I don't knock giving free trials in the beginning stages. I think there's a lot of value in it, to be honest. Um, With that being said, there are a lot of trial hoppers and a lot of people who are um, looking for a free class. But, you know, if you're just getting started, it's the experience in itself is valuable sometimes. And even just learning the signs of what kind of student you might not want to work with or might not be serious about signing up for your classes. My general rule of thumb is when your trials are cutting into your students, paid students' time, that's when I started charging. When I needed to give a slot that another student could have booked, then I do a paid trial. Got it. And obviously, you know, a paid trial works in a way where they pay you up front and then you do the class for uh, whatever is the stipulated time. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Um, and obviously, it's a it's a lower amount, you know, just yeah. to also entice them to, to, to come and try the class. But um, I give them a time window. You know, I, I send them, I work on class in. So I send them a classroom link. I upload the course material and I upload the invoice there. And I tell them, please pay the invoice before the class starts. And if the invoice is paid, then we conduct the class. Usually there's not many problems. Sometimes someone may stall and then I just send them a friendly reminder. Got it, got it, Pika. But yeah, definitely get your, as an independent teacher, get your money before you teach any classes. That's the number one rule of thumb. <laughs> Be it a paid trial or even, a, a, you know, a bunch of sessions that you're signing up. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, you got really it. have to collect funds before. Got it. And let's say after a paid trial, uh, now your experience with the Chinese students or the parents, how has it been? Are they upfront in letting you know their what they felt about your class immediately uh, whether they want it don't want it or do they drag along or how long what's the average time for a conversion class to get into a full-time proper engagement that's that's a great question optimally immediately so this is the thing when you're an independent teacher you have to really put your business person hat on and you have to think of everything from the perspective of your business. That means after you host a trial class, you should reach out to your lead immediately. Right. And you, what I like to do is provide some feedback. And then I provide some suggestions for a further learning plan. And if you're interested in, you know, in continuing our cooperation further then blah, 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 for example. Yes. And usually, um, you know, I'm, I'm able to, sense when someone's 
convert it, even in the process of communication right now. I know the signs if someone's right. really gung-ho about working with me. So that also helps me filter through who I might host a trial for, who I might not, for example. Um, but, you know, optimally, it usually happens immediately. Also, my content is attracting the kind of students who are going to be comfortable with my rates because I do charge a higher rate. And if I know it's like, you know, a working professional from Beijing, I know they're going to be familiar with this kind of rate, right? So so those are important signs to look out for. If they're stalling, I give them a couple of hours and I reach back out to them and I create a sense of urgency. And I say, you know what, I, um, you know, it's summer holidays. So my slots are quickly filling up for summer vacation, but out of fairness to this student, let's say Coco, I do want to reserve her slot. Uh, for the summer semester, please let me know if you're interested in, you know, furthering our cooperation. So creating that sense of urgency also sometimes does the trick or at least forces them to tell me I'm not interested and then I can move on. Right. So you're saying just don't leave it. You're saying max you wait for is two hours, not more than two hours after a trial page. Absolutely. Yeah. I gotta wow. know. Okay. So being very I was, I was, I was thinking point. maybe a couple of days is the time frame for them to make a that's, decision. That's the thing. And you know, I, I used to be the person who didn't want to step on any toes. You know, I don't want to, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. But once you do it and you do it from the business perspective, it, it completely becomes natural because I don't have time to, to wait around. You know, I, I need to know if the student is working with me or I'm, I'm on to the next one, it's a business. But I will say this, it is sometimes valuable having a lead who you hosted a trial for, but you didn't convert. Because even though that student didn't sign up for classes, who's to say they might not in the future or join a group class or recommend you to another student so it's always very valuable to keep that lead in your like wechat contacts or your base of contacts so so that is also very valuable it's called like a warm lead so you keep them in there just in case got it what's the you know you say that you know two hours is the kind of time but has there been instances when somebody has come back after a week and you know you've taken them yeah even even after like um yeah, I did have some strange situations where I was communicating with this parent back and forth for months, and they had a lot of trouble with my process of the invoicing for some reason. And that kind of was like a red flag because, you know, if you can't master the payment method, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but um, maybe they were too busy. And then after a few months, they signed up their kid for classes. Um, so you never know. You, you never know how, how it might go down. And sometimes they just tell me that, you know, it's a really busy period in my child's life right now, but I'm really interested in continuing classes from this date. Let's start then. During that, when they tell me they have a later start date, I still secure the package earlier. Right. It's like a deposit that I'm keeping their spot for them. So I still, I still secure my payment. <laughs> but we just host the classes uh, at a later date. And usually they're fine with that. Usually they're fine. So Yeah, of course. I mean, different. you need a commitment, right? In the form of some sort of, exactly. a, you know, yeah, payment or something. But uh, you must have, you know, designed packages, right? Now, how many classes uh, they're most comfortable to pay you up front? 
and uh, typically uh, how long do you spend you know how many hours do you spend with one student that's great so i have two variations of lessons 25 minutes or 50 minutes and i feel like offering this kind of uh, varied package deal is well, the students commit to one or the other. It's not like sometimes they come in for 25 or 50. Right. But um, it helps me get more students through the door because some parents don't want their kids in class for 50 minutes because they're very uh, careful with children's eyesight. That's the number one reason. And number two, it's more affordable sometimes for them to have you know shorter classes than, than a full hour, right? So I feel like offering that flexibility really helps me um, get more students through the door. And as far as packages, like the number of lessons in the packages, I would be very careful because generally it's surprising that Chinese students want to buy a lot of lessons up front with a discount, right? Right. Like they want to bulk at a discounted rate. And that sounds great because you get a lump sum of money. Yeah, yeah. Um, Immediately. The problem is renewal because you might not get paid enough for another, get paid for another three months. And I quickly learned that mistakes. So, so I condense my packages to make sure I'm getting like, you know, some monthly income <laughs> instead of just students, you know, sitting on a package for three months. So it's really important to think of that as well. Got it. Got it. Kinga. And you already spoke about a few tools, right? Uh, you spoke about WeChat, you spoke about Classin and stuff like that. Now, um, I'm not sure, uh, you know, there are different aspects for which you need different tools. For example, uh, there is the whole teaching thing that happens. There is this whole communication thing before you get on to teaching. Uh, you said, even though you post on the social media, now in Instagram, it's very different. We can chat on Instagram itself. You know, you post there, you chat there. But you said you take them to a different platform as soon as they discover you. And then there exactly, is a class. Yes. And then there is a payment system as well. And then, you know, maybe uh, you give them work to do before they come into the next class and stuff. So what are the tools that you need for all of these processes? Yeah, absolutely. I think the basic tools you need are curriculum. Um, you have to have something in place. I don't like to prepare lessons. So I take advantage of solutions that offer me the luxury of not having to prepare lessons. So whether that's like a subscription curriculum, web-based curriculum, um, Crystal Clear English is one of the first ones that was available to teachers. And it's it was, I always describe it to my students as a web-based curriculum that's very similar to VIP Kid. It has that kind of feel of, you know, building foundations. Um, or just one of the, you know, curriculums from like Oxford Publishing or National Geographic, you can buy those individually, or you can buy a classroom presentation tool, for example. So I would really, you know, set up your curriculum so you could minimize your prep. Then you need to decide where you're going to host your classes. There are so many platforms available that are fantastic for different reasons. Um, Lawson is one. Uh, Koala Go is another with a really great gamified aspect and it's got like a built-in playground that's similar to Minecraft. Um, they're very teacher focused. Um, Super Kid is another one on the rise that offers a lot of 
technical solutions for teachers in, in the in the sense of hosting packages, payment systems, a lot of things. Of course, you can teach on Zoom. Some teachers teach on Booth if they want the free option. I opt for Classin because my Chinese audience is familiar with this platform. So it's really, it also builds that sense of security. If they see I'm using the platform they're familiar with, it makes them feel better. So that also facilitates the conversion process, but also the back end of the learning management system, posting yeah. homework, um, yeah. tracking my classes is so awesome. So I really, really do enjoy that platform. And yeah, so, and then, yeah, and then your communication tool. So Classen has a class chat. So it's got a messenger feature built in. If you can't get on WeChat, I really recommend Classen as an alternative, but you know, having some kind of communication tool you can use with your students is really important. Preferably WeChat because that's what they're familiar with, but definitely look into alternatives if you're having trouble getting verified. Got it, Kinga. And uh, let me just take a step back here. We spoke about the double reduction policy that China got, right? And, um, you know, they kind of prevented companies to do whatever they were doing. And now let's say you're doing it independently. Is there always a sense of, do you have a backup? Because China is that country which at any point in time is trying to maybe block things or, you know, uh, work against non-Chinese doing business with people in China, right? Is that is that a concern for you? Is that a problem? Do you keep thinking about it? And do you think of other alternates? Uh, it definitely keeps me hyper sensitive to some degree to look out for signs and changes. But the thing is, what's taught me about this situation is that the need for English instruction and teachers will never, it will never disappear. There will always be this demand for, for English instruction. And because it's so competitive in China, even more so now, because there have been changes implemented in the education system that I think about only 50% or 60% of students can go on to study, um, I can't remember if it was at university or high school, but they're already, you know, reducing the amount of students who are going to be able to pursue higher education. So that amplifies the level of competition in China. And obviously, um, language skills, learning a foreign language, English is a huge part of that. So that demand is never going to disappear. Uh, so that keeps me secure to some degree. Will I need to adapt? Probably, probably. So I really need to, you know, be aware of that. It's never going to be smooth sailing and it's never going to be just the same thing for many years on end. With that being said, I think the future of online teaching is definitely diversification. So what my situation taught me was never put my eggs in one basket, diversify. And I've spent the past two years building several streams of income um teaching i was tutoring in poland but now i can resign from that because my other income streams are coming through in the sense of my teacher coaching um creating online courses uh digital products for teachers a lot of teachers make content for uh teachers pay teachers lesson plans some teachers started developing curriculum um 
Some teachers became virtual assistants for other teachers, social media managers. Like there are so many opportunities in space. I really recommend diversifying your income. I think that is the future so that you never have to be worried about, you know, what happens if so on and so forth. Got it, Kinga. And, uh, you know, you uh, spoke about lesson plan. You're not a big fan of creating lesson plan. By that, you mean that you are using platforms that readily give you lesson plans. Exactly, exactly. I don't have to create anything from scratch, no PowerPoints, no repurposing curriculum. I just, um, I use a web-based curriculum, which I pay a subscription to. And it's kind of like those, it's basically like the lessons we received on the platforms we teach, we taught, excuse me, we taught um, ready-made lessons, slides, for example, and I subscribe to a few of those. And I also um, purchased some classroom presentation tools of some brand name curriculum, like I bought from Oxford Publishing, um, Nat Geo, and it's kind of like an ebook. So I I can present it very easily in Classin on my browser tool. It looks great. Um, I don't have to prepare anything beforehand. It's really great. So no prep for me at all. Just like, just investment. So it's a matter of do you want to invest your time or do you want to invest your money? For me, of course, yeah. I'd rather yeah. just pay for something, right? So also, uh, is that a recurring kind of a thing? Because once you have all the lesson plans, you can replicate the same for all your future students, right? Or is that a continuous process? Um, that's a great question. So, so for the subscriptions to like some of the curriculum providers like Crystal Clear English, for example... Uh, Learnling is another one. Um, you would have to maintain an active subscription because it is intellectual property. So those lessons are not downloadable. You, okay, you, have, you have access to the link, right? So you can pre- um, present in, present it in your co-browser tool. So the idea is to maintain your subscription. I find it quite affordable. It's never more than like, you know, um, 15 to $20, for example, per month which uh, I think is, is quite reasonable. for what Yeah, yeah which is just your one hour's wage, maybe. Exactly, exactly. And, um, and then, as, but the classroom presentation tools, I only have to buy once. And sometimes they are a bit more, you know, pricier than that. But, um, but I just have to pay that once and I can use it for the rest of my life, I guess. So, so it's also definitely a valuable investment for me. Got it, Kinga. Kinga, for people, you know, who are just probably, you know, who are looking at this and, you know, who are thinking of starting off now, but, you know, let's say they know English, they are, you know, uh, fluent in communication and stuff like that, but they do not have a certification. Like, say, there is uh, TESOL or uh, other stuff, right? Uh, How much uh, of, you know, uh, are the Chinese people particular about asking for certifications and credibility? That's a great question. Um, they always have been, uh, but I find that they don't, to be honest. Um, not in my case, not in my case. Uh, and in fact, I like to go against the grain and I think that people are more than their degree or academic achievements. Maybe it's because I was always a rebel at school. <laughs> And I right. like to think outside of the box. So I'm always kind of rebelling about 
that idea. With that being said, it's nice to have certifications. Um, TESOL is a, is a great one to have, I would say. You know, if, if anything, I would get your TESOL. And that's kind of like a foolproof um, certification you can, you can get. There are a lot of great TESOL options available. But to be honest with you, when I'm communicating with my uh, students and leads, no one asks me about my academic background because I'm not, it's not about like how we worked at platforms. And in our intro video, we're saying, hi, I'm Kinga. I have 12 years teaching ESL to blah, blah, blah. And I studied at blah, blah, blah. I have a BA in blah, blah, blah. That's not interesting to the student. And if it is, then it's probably a generic student that you don't want to be working with anyways. What is interesting to the student is what results can I give and how can I help bridge the gap between A to B? Like they need to see the results I can provide and that's what makes them excited and that's what seals the conversion. So for me, the fo focus is more about, okay, so this is your challenges, reflecting it back to you in my learning plan. Right. This is how we gap that bridge. And um, I don't think that academics or my background really comes... To, to play in that, it's more about my skill set and how I can provide those results. Got it, Kinga. Kinga, now, you know, uh, let's move on to your, you not only teach, but you also help other teachers kind of uh, get into the same path as you, right? Like helping them. You run a program along with Chris, who I've, you know, conversed earlier. Um, can you uh, deep dive into what you do to help teachers, what are the exact support and services that you offer? Absolutely, definitely. So we've been at Create and Funnel, that's our brand with Chris, who is my partner and biz bestie. We've been running this brand for teachers for over a year now. And throughout that year, we've created different levels of support for teachers because we understand that some teachers are starting some teachers are set up and ready to go. Some teachers are thriving, but they may need to, you know, scale further or maybe optimize some systems. So there are various levels of support we we provide. Right. Um, we have a free Facebook community mm -hmm. on Facebook. That's a great place to go and to get started called Shaohan Shu for Teachers. It's completely free. And you can get a lot of advice and tips uh, from other teachers who are on their own Shaohan Shu journey. We have like 4,000 teachers in there. So that's wow. a lot of us together yeah. doing the same thing. Um, we provide digital products for teachers, um, a guide to get start, getting started on Shaohan Shu, uh, a contract that you can use uh, to sign with your students, for example, it's adaptable. And of course we have created a course on Shaohan Shu that we launch sometimes um live launch every so often we've run i guess i forgot the most important product that we've created it's our signature product which is a shaohan shu boot camp and that was like a five-day intensive workshop for teachers to getting started on shaohan shu and we've had a lot of success with that we've run it like five times and um a lot of our teachers were able to get their first students during the boot camp. That was amazing. So we actually had students, uh, teachers recruiting students during the boot camp. During the boot camp exciting. itself. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And now um, our main focus is 
um, our membership, which is a great affordable option for teachers who are looking to connect with like-minded teacherpreneurs and just have extra accountability and support from Chris and I to getting started and up and running on Shaohanshu. We're taking advantage of the summer uh, break and using that time to recruit more students on Shaohanshu, but also now opening up our summer coaching for one-to-one mentorship. And we're working with some teachers more directly and just getting them either set up and automated um, their teaching business, starting their teaching business from scratch, or working with the teaching business they have to get them more students, for example. Got it, Kinga. Kinga, uh, the kind of people that reach out to you and, you know, who join your uh, membership, do you have non-native English speakers as well? What's that side uh, look like? Yeah, that's a great question. Of course, of course. And, you know, Chris and I are both very passionate about being inclusive. Um, on on platforms, it was a rough world out there. It still is to some degree. Um, there's so much exploitation happening uh, in our industry based on if someone is a native speaker or non-native speaker, which I think right. that term is really harmful um, and discriminatory based on race, of course, especially, you know, to some degree in China. Um, But what's interesting is I find that, you know, that was a lot of platforms. When you work with uh, clients individually, some, that discrimination doesn't always appear. So that's really interesting that it seems like it was really these platforms feeding these kind of like discriminatory um, dialogues. So, Absolutely. We do have what we would call non-native speakers or um, bilingual speakers, and they're they're killing it, to be honest, because, you know, they have everything really fine tuned. Their their niche um, leads and students see that they're providing a lot of value in their lessons and they're still able to make very decent and premium rates because now they know what they're worth and they know what they're capable of charging and no one can tell them differently. If someone tells them, you know, but you're from, for example, um, like we have like some Serbian teachers, for example, you're from Serbia. So you should be charging a lower rate. That just gives me the sign. I don't want to work with that person because I don't want to argue and explain to someone why I'm valuable. They should see it, you know, immediately. And it could be the same for me because I come from Poland um, and I live in Poland. So someone could also say, Hey, your cost of living is lower. So you should charge a lower rate. You know, that's not, a, not, not your business really. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so it's important for us to, to break that dialogue and shift that mindset. And we absolutely invite all teachers to work with us. And we do have a variety of different teachers from different backgrounds and different corners of the world. Amazing. Um, so you're saying that, uh, but what are the challenges uh, that you know non-native teachers uh, face to begin with? Like you said, you know uh, they would you know be faced with a they'd be you know uh, uh, you know asked a question like you know you live here your standard of living is less so you but you can you should probably lower your prices. Apart from that, um, is there any confidence related issues with non-native teachers? You know where they themselves have imposter syndrome. 
and stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think mindset is a huge part of it and on both sides because I see also sometimes unfortunately, I see a lot of teachers feeding into this idea that you'll never charge a higher rate because you're not a native speaker. Um and that just we have to understand that that comes from someone's own insecurity. Um so I wouldn't listen to that. But it's it's out there. So that's one of the, the challenges of, you know, running across a teacher who, who may bully other teachers and feed into this idea oh, wow. that, okay. that, you know, your value is actually a lot lower and, you know, stop shooting for the stars kind of thing. So it's really important who you surround yourself with, I think, and also like what kind of community you link up with or what kind of mentor you connect with. There are so many of us in, in the space. Um, it's really, really important. And I think that just mindset is a huge part of it because um, because it takes it takes a long time. So, you know, we've been we've been fed this idea that certain teachers are worth less and that's still being exploited. Like, you know, a lot of, for example, a lot of Filipino teachers, they take a lower rate than um, other teachers do. And. What is interesting is that makes other teachers angry. Well, they should be charging, you know, a higher rate because, you know, there's a huge gap between what I charge and they charge and they're making it so difficult. Right. So what we can do is show them, guys, we can charge a higher rate. So by we lead by example. You know, I I can't understand their position, um, but I can have empathy. And, and I can lead by example. And instead of attacking them, I can pave the way and show guys, like, let's do this together. Let's lift our colleagues up. I think it's about that. Great. And uh, Kinga, when it comes to teaching somebody, you know, when it comes to packages, let's say in 30 days with one student, what is the optimum number of hours that you spend over a period of 30 days? Is it every mm-hmm. day or is it, you know, a couple of, times a week um yeah so my my students take uh classes at different frequencies i would say um obviously once a week is the least optimal frequency because it takes a longer time to get through a package but i have some students taking classes three times a week that's a great right that's a great frequency um, right. And I even have a student who takes classes five days a week. So oh, that's wow. awesome. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that's that's the, really awesome. Right. No, the reason I asked you this question was uh, if somebody wants to start off, you know, um, when you mm-hmm. say there are students who take five um, uh, days a week as well. So for you to kind of, you know, make some amount of money, even one student, if you find them taking five days a week, you have every day at least an hour booked out. And that's a good start for somebody who's just starting out. So you don't have to have the pressure of, you know, oh, you know what, I need to have five students and stuff. So you can have one student three days a week. That means you can have two students to make sure you have, you're doing some work every single day and, you know, at least an hour. And then it's all about scaling up and, you know, repeating the process to get more and more students. Exactly. Yeah. It's not necessarily, which I learned, it's not necessarily about quality, but it's about the quantity of students. Um, What's really interesting, I don't know if any other teacher experienced this, but I guess 
that I got pretty good at converting um, in the beginning stages that I was able to sell packages of lessons and I haven't heard from those students since. And it's not like I've cut off contact uh, with you them. Mean, uh, you mean sold, they've made the payment, and then they've they've not uh, yeah. contacted you back. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, they still have lessons available. And that's not ideal. So that taught me that I need to make some rules about, like, how, how long a package is valid for. Like, put an expiration date on it. Um, but, but, you know, that's not the kind of student I want. I don't want a student who's just going to pay me one time and and ghost me because that's not recurring, um, income. So it's not always about like how many students it's about what kind of student are they taking classes regularly? Are they renewing their packages? Are they engaged in the lessons? So, so that should be really the focus. Got it, Pringa. And, uh, you know, you spoke about these uh, five-day boot camps that you do. Uh, so, yeah. you know, what's what's the structure like? You know, do you spend, do you uh, offer some live sessions every single day of those five days? And how many, how many hours is expected of the teachers to kind of put in to make the best use of those five-day boot camps? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, they, It's kind of funny because they are labeled as five-day boot camps, but they run into two weeks. The reason why is because we have implementation days in between, which allows teachers to take a breath and catch up on live sessions or just like implement the actionable steps. So, and obviously we also have a, like a Facebook group for added support during that time period. Um, So they've been really successful and uh, yeah, so it's about like two days on of live sessions, like a, a half an hour or an hour live session with a particular theme for training. Um, we give some homework. Sometimes we have some VIP sessions with hot seat coaching, for example. And then we have like a break and an implementation day um, to take a breath and, and just review. Got it. And, uh, you know, when it comes to creating content, say, for uh, the Chinese social media, you know, there's there's a lot of creativity involved, right? You might need a tool like Canva or, you know, you might have to design or, you know. So what is mm-hmm. the optimum, uh, what's the kind of content that you encourage uh, teachers to post? Because some people are, you know, not very comfortable coming in front of the video and um, they just have the voiceover with some sort of content on the reel. Um what about that? What works best uh, in terms of the visuals? Yeah, well, I think we will see this trend in social media all across the board, but we say that video is king. Um, so I know there are a lot of teachers who are totally freaked out about showing up on camera. I, from a young age, haven't had this problem. <laughs> I used to like being on camera. My daughter is the same. My my son is completely the opposite. He he hides from the camera, but um, it's necessary because you are building a personal brand. So we gotta put a face behind the personal brand, and we gotta get to know who's behind the brand. So you have to show up on video. Um, right. So there are ways to get through that. You know, turning on the camera without recording and speaking to it to kind of break that mental barrier. But definitely video is king. But with that being said, we talked about diversifying your content strategy. So, you know, you can take one idea and you can um, reformat it into different ways. 
it can be, you know, a talking head video where it's just like your face and you're you're giving some educational tips, for example. Then you can turn that into an entertaining post of sorts, right? You can take that information, you can do like a swipe file carousel static post, for example. So it's great to diversify, but you definitely have to put some kind of video content out there. Absolutely. And keeping in mind that Xiaohanshu is really built around like vlogging and showing authentic real life situations, you have to also incorporate that aspect into your content and do some behind the scenes, go on a walk, show where you live, your neighborhood, show them how you live your life. You know, it has to have that kind of feel. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Authenticity and, you know, a little bit of relatability. They just don't look at you from a business point of view and they have no idea about what your personal life is. So the more you do that, the more the chances are about building trust. Uh, mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Got it, got it, Kinga. Kinga, uh, you know, we you spoke about uh, the pay grades, right? You said uh, the people from Philippines, you know, go for a very lower rate and then that kind of has a different effect on other people who are charging premium rates and stuff like that. So what is the kind of uh, pay that we're looking at on an hourly basis? You know, what is the the range of which is the lowest what's the highest uh for people to get an idea of you you know how much can they realistically make in this business yeah okay you know this is just from what i've heard you know um and what i've observed in our community um so i have seen teachers who offer five dollars per class right um i think that's per hour Per hour, I think they're offering, yeah. Wow. Okay. And yeah. and this, they sometimes face a situation where the client is telling them that's too expensive, and the client is offering three dollars. So this is still oh happening. God. Yeah, it's it's terrible. Okay. You know, it's it's really it's really hard, and I can't imagine being put in that situation. That's why I think it's really important for us to like uplift our colleagues and the industry and and shift that mindset by doing good work ourselves. We can only improve the world if we work on ourselves, really. Um, As far as the higher end of of the stick, um, you know, I came from a platform where I was earning $15 an hour and I knew that VIP kid teachers were earning 25. So I thought it was going to be really cool for me as an independent teacher to, to charge $25 per hour. But then because I connected with a mentor, I, I got coaching in the initial stages of my business with him. And then I joined his course, which had a group of teachers also, you know, starting their businesses. And I started doing market research. What were these teachers charging? What were companies charging their clients? And what's the range of like, you know, other kinds of tutoring in different cities in China? You have first tier, which are the most developed, second tier, third tier. I wanted to aim for the first tier cities. Right. Um, and I learned that teachers were charging $50 an hour, $60 an hour, you know, and above for more even specialized like IELTS prep or, you know, academic writing. Also, I just want to go back to what I said about academics and like your degree. If your niche is aligned with some kind of like academia, 
you know, maybe you're preparing students for entry into a very good prestigious university or preparing them for an exam. I think that's when your academic um, achievements come into play. That's when that client might ask you about it because it's really in alignment with, with, with your niche. So um, with that being said, like the, the more specific you can get with your skill set, the higher you can you can charge. But it's very interesting. I did some research and I learned that like music tutoring, like piano is really big in, in China and in Beijing. And like some teachers are charging, like tutors in China are charging like $180 per lesson. Wow. For okay. piano instruction. So, you know, that gives you an idea of what these parents are willing to invest in, in their child's education. I'm not saying to exploit that. But, you know, that's definitely important to take into account when you do market research. Right. Got it, Finger. And probably my uh, final topic that I want to touch upon, uh, let's take from your boot camp uh, perspective, right? When you have teachers join you, is there any level of prerequisites that you look for? Do you uh, kind of qualify teachers? Not necessarily. Um, you know, uh, as far as the boot camp, I think that anybody is welcome. There are no there are no prerequisites. You don't even need to be experienced uh, in teaching to to join us. Because if that's the path you're interested in getting to know, then you know who am who am I to tell you that no, it's not not for you. So we're definitely open to anyone. With that being said, on a personal level, I do do a quick like scan in my mind, whether that teacher is really mentally kind of optimized for, for going independent because there are, so, so for me, sometimes it's about the mindset. So if I were working with the teacher more directly in my mentorship, I would be looking out for if they're really willing to, to, to put in the work to, you know, to niche down, to, um, to make that mindset shift into independent teaching, because I think to do it successfully, your mind has to be there. And I know a lot of people hate hearing mindset, 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 but it's so important because there are so many challenging like situations along the way that I could have quit a hundred times. But because I had been working actively on my mindset for a few years prior, it keeps me going today. And it's very interesting. I heard this quote that people think success is like someone just succeeding. It worked out. But people don't see that actually the small percentage of people who succeed are the people who just don't give up. They're just so persistent that they eventually come across that success the hundredth time, for example, um, because they just keep going. And I think that's a huge part of that because you don't see like those hard moments and those failures behind the scenes. And so many times I was questioning, like, why did I get myself into this? Like, why? And and just you know, going through it, going through the mechanism sometimes and finally coming out on the other side and being like, okay, that was why, that's why I'm still here. So the mindset thing is my own personal prerequisite to to work with someone more on an individual level. Got it, Kinga. Since you spoke about mindset, can you share one common mindset problem that you face with most of the teachers that, you know, come to you for help? 
I came across an interesting one recently that stuck in my mind. Okay. That okay. it was like I want to um, I want to find premium paying students. You know, what kind of students do you want to teach? The ones that are going to pay me the most. Okay. But that's like avoiding the niche situation. Um, so that's 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 the number one thing that I see actually is teachers really not taking niching down seriously. They don't see the value in that and they don't see how important that is in moving forward. But they want those premium paying students. Right, right, um, right. But the two go together. So I think that's the number one thing. And a lot of the individual work I do with teachers, I usually have to go back with them and say, but wait a second, let's take a step back. Like, who are you serving? Well, I can serve anyone. All right. But what's your zone of genius in your class? What are your students responding to? What brings you the most joy in your class? So, and then when we focus in on that, it's like, aha, now I can create my content more easily. Now I feel great value in what I do and I feel more comfortable presenting that premium rate and I see I'm attracting the right people. So I think that's really the, the main challenge that I'm coming across these days with teachers. Got it, Pinga. Since you mentioned uh, something interesting, zone of genius, um, yeah. Is that, uh, you know, uh, I've, I've heard that a couple of times. And um, is that something that you learned from a book or something? I mean, the reason I'm getting there is if you'd want to, you know, if there are some books that helped you in certain aspects of your business, you know, if you can share or recommend some books, that'll be amazing. too. Absolutely. Well, so I definitely did hear this from someone and I heard this from another teacherpreneur that I have been following very closely through uh, my journey. Um, you should definitely reach out to her. Her name is Ola Kowalska, and she works with teachers who are more in the CELTA background. So there are a lot of teachers, you know, I guess they would focus more a bit on the European market. Right. Um, and she has an amazing podcast as well called Get Richer Teacher. And wow. I remember okay. her saying something about her own personal journey, figuring out what she enjoyed doing, what she didn't, her zone of genius. And that really stuck with me. like thinking about, you know, where do I feel good? Um, so absolutely, I recommend that podcast. But as far as books, okay, the best book I've read recently that helped me in my journey to entrepreneurship is Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I love that book. Right, right. I've yeah, read that a lot. It's a great one. Yeah, it's, it's so awesome. And going back to what we talked about diversifying and, you know, not for example, not cashing out on all your assets, but investing back into your business. Like it really helps you shift your mind into a business owner instead of a teacher who runs a business. Right. So, yeah. Teaching then becomes just one aspect of your business on a bigger scheme of things. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly right. Great. Kinga, I think... Uh, Thank you so much for sharing uh, so much because I wanted to kind of really break it down. I think I've done that. Uh, if there is something that you think I did not uh, touch upon, please feel free to share it. I might have missed it for whatever reason. But I was totally putting myself, um, you know, okay, I'm going to be that teacher and I'm going to ask all the questions that I'm going to get. So that is how okay. I approach this podcast today. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's easier, right? Uh, you don't have to really put yourself in other shoes and then you don't have to break your head. So, because, you know, uh, whatever you're doing, I think is amazing. 
uh, especially the way you've navigated through the challenges and then, you know, building up a space for yourself and, you know, showing others the path. I think that's amazing. I think that's what the world needs more uh, from people who are, who are somewhere doing something already. If they can show people the path, I think uh, there's nothing more amazing than that. Thank you so much, Jack. I, I totally agree because you know what's really interesting and I'll be completely transparent. I'm not the first teacher who signed up on Shaofanshu. There were tons of us on there before I got on there. But I was I was really the only teacher who was very vocal about it in my community because I just knew what it felt like to start something with zero students. So I was right. screaming, hey, guys, did you know about this tool that you can use to find students? Come on, let's all get together. And it was years of, you know, providing free value, creating a free community of teachers who wanted to um who, who wanted to get on that path. Since that time, there have been other teachers who have spun off and done their own things with coaching on Shaohan Shu. And that's great because the more the word gets out, the better. But I think when our work is aligned with the purpose and the purpose is doing good, um, that's when great things happen. And I totally agree that, you know, behind all this is something good. My My intention is to is to lift others up because I have been through it. And I, if I can help a teacher, not necessarily avoid that situation, I don't know if it's possible to do that, but navigate through it, then I'm happy. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what people want. You know, all, you know, just share your experience so that, you know, even I can, if you can share your challenges that you already face, I can probably save myself from that or be better prepared for such things. Exactly. And, you know, exactly. cut down the learning curve for them. Exactly right. right. Absolutely right. Awesome. Uh, I wish you all the very best. And, uh, uh, you know, I I really wish you reach to reach out to more and more teachers. And I wish more and more teachers discover you. And um, I also hope down the line, you find many such opportunities, not only in China, maybe English as a whole. You know, uh, there are so many non-English speaking countries you can probably figure right. out some solutions for other countries as well. And, yeah, uh, I'm which, working on uh, <laughs> Oh, great. Okay. I can't wait for yeah, that. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> that diversification for sure, for sure. Yeah, there's a lot of interest in different markets. The European market, a lot of teachers are interested in tapping into the um, Saudi Arabian market. Right. So, you know, we're thinking about, Chris and I are always five steps ahead and and we're working on different things to be even more inclusive so so very exciting things coming soon amazing amazing kinga thank you so much again um it was an absolute pleasure thank you so much thank you so much for having me it's my pleasure this podcast is brought to you by edison os a no-code edtech platform to operate an online education business Knowledge entrepreneurs can use Edison OS to sell online courses from their own websites, manage online masterclasses, launch mobile learning apps, sell online practice tests for competitive exams, run online learning communities, digitizing their offline tutoring business, use it as a learning management system, and a lot more cases in the domain of knowledge commerce.